As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. There are new concerns about COVID-19 mutations as the vaccination effort ramps up. The pharmacy received 120 doses Monday, despite requesting more than 1,000. We're keeping our fingers crossed that hopefully the supply goes up. We're getting to the point where we can't really do more without more doses. So only 70,000 doses are coming into the state weekly. We need five times that to vaccinate 80% of our population by summer. So the vaccine supply is still yet a little bit of a trickle. This week, Wisconsinites 65 and older became eligible for the COVID-19 vaccine. But being eligible is not the same as actually getting the shot. Why people in this age group still might need to wait weeks or even months to get the vaccine, all while scientists eyeing new COVID-19 mutations. From the Fox 6 studios, this is Open Record. I'm Amanda St. Hilaire, here with my colleague Brian Polson. Hi, Brian. Hi, Amanda. We are recording this on Tuesday, January 26th. And if you're 65 or older in Wisconsin, there's a good chance you're trying to figure out how and when you can get set up for your COVID-19 vaccine here in Wisconsin. And while that group is now eligible, uh, it, it doesn't necessarily mean they can get in and get these shots, Amanda. What's the holdup? Yeah, so it, it depends on who you ask. And there are a bunch of things that we've talked about in, in previous episodes that I'll highlight briefly, but it comes with the general problem of the administration of the vaccine in addition to the supply of the vaccine. So if you talk to uh, Wisconsin DHS, they'll tell you we are we are not getting enough um, at the rate that we are getting the vaccine, doses of the vaccine each week, even if we can immediately take those doses and inject them into everyone's arms, we are not going to have 80% of the population vaccinated by the summer, which is the goal, right? Once you hit that 80%, that's where we can get to that point where we can start accurately using phrases like herd immunity. So there's that issue. There are other issues where you have uh, especially smaller healthcare providers saying they're having trouble themselves getting information on when they're going to get their doses of the vaccine to administer to different patients. You have different providers taking different approaches, different counties taking different approaches. I know Mayor Tom Barrett in Milwaukee just made the announcement that, hey, I know 65 or older, they're eligible right now. But we've still we've we've got to focus on on police. We've got to focus on healthcare workers. So even though they're eligible, we're not just going to roll out and start vaccinating them right away. So there are a lot of different uh, moving parts to this, and there's also the confusion factor. So if you're 65 or older, you're probably wondering how and and when do I even get on a list 
sign up for this. A lot of healthcare providers say they've been overwhelmed with calls. They're trying to direct people to go to different websites to sign up. I, I know I've talked to a lot of people who have been trying to help their parents get signed up for this. And with the technology gap there, that's been kind of a problem. Um, and then some places don't have any technology or any, any signups. We don't really have a statewide system for this. So your ability to see where you are in line and to, to access your resources, a lot of times depends on who your healthcare provider is and sometimes what county you live well, in. Well, and the thing that really stands out here is we live in a world where people are so connected now that if you have family in another state, you may well be hearing a very different story of what's going on in Pennsylvania or Missouri or some other place uh, than is going on in Wisconsin. So while my mother, who is 70 years old, is already signed up to get her vaccine. She hasn't received the shot, but I think there's some sense of comfort in knowing she's on the list, she's registered, she's going to get it when it's available. There's something to that. Here in Wisconsin, there's really no standard place to go to get your name on that list, to get your information in the system, to know you're in line. And I think that's really what's confusing and frustrating a lot of people is, it's one thing to be in a long line. It's another thing to have absolutely no idea where the line is forming. Exactly. And don't forget that right now, this is just one group we're talking about. And I mean, it's a sizable population, ages 65 and older. But for the most part with Wisconsin's vaccine prioritization, a lot of it has been based on your exposure risk. That is in the form of your profession. And I know you've been following those meetings and those discussions, Brian, but we're seeing differences in other states and how they're doing that. So in Pennsylvania, for example, you have um, in their 1A phase, you had healthcare workers, uh, you have first responders, but you also have people who have underlying conditions. So pregnancy, people who are smokers, people who are 65 plus. So it's kind of a, a mix of your exposure risk, but also your underlying risk. Well, one of the big controversies that that yeah, right here in Wisconsin is that even in phase 1B, which we know is a huge group and is going to take months to vaccinate, Wisconsin did not include people under 65 with underlying chronic health conditions, people who are from a health standpoint at high risk of a severe disease. Other states have included those people in phase 1B, Wisconsin chose not to and instead sort of chose occupation and, and exposure risk to the public as something that was a higher priority. And again, these are all decisions being made state by state uh, it, by you know local organizations here in Wisconsin. It's a vaccine subcommittee we've obviously covered extensively that is within DHS and advises DHS on this. But that was a controversial decision because there are people, many, many people, millions potentially, certainly hundreds of thousands in Wisconsin who are younger than 65 and have high-risk health conditions who may be waiting until summer before they're even eligible for a vaccine. And uh, and obviously that's a long wait and a, a big concern. While the numbers are down, they've not gone away and people are still being hospitalized and getting seriously ill. Right. I believe I, I was looking through your, your logs of one of the meetings, Brian, and there was a, a soundbite from someone who basically said, if you're under 65 and you have cancer, you can't get this vaccine right now and, and you it, won't that... do all of phase 1b mm -hmm. and, and that's the thing so just because we've said hey we've decided who's in phase 1b that doesn't mean we're actually even on to phase 1b and then there's the matter of 
getting a lot of headway in phase 1B so we can move on to the next phase. And so I think that's that's where some of the frustration comes from if you talk to people who are trying to figure out where they get this vaccine, how they get it, or where a loved one can get it, or how they get it. And I know even talking to the medical providers, they're struggling because they want to tell their patients, hey, here's here's what you got to do. Uh, but everything keeps changing so quickly, and there isn't really a centralized way for them to do that. They can direct people to their websites, but they know that there are a lot of people who have limited internet accessibility. So that's another huge issue that they have to think through. And we do know the so Evers I, administration has taken a beating on some of this in terms of the speed of getting a plan out and the speed of getting doses into arms. But you mentioned the amount of vaccine coming into the state, and that's something that the DHS has pointed to as being a real choke point here. And, and, and it has been. If you look at the data, we're tracking it daily that comes out from the CDC in terms of how much vaccine each state is getting and how that relates to the size of their population. Wisconsin ranks right now 48th in the country out of the 50 states and, and Washington, D.C. So out of 51, we're 48th in terms of the amount of vaccine we've received from the federal government relative to our population. So we're doing very poorly in getting vaccine even sent to us in the first place. And at the rate we're getting it, just getting through phase 1B could take us until summer because it's coming. I think uh, we've been hearing a lot, Amanda, about 70,000 doses a week. I'm looking at the numbers reported on the CDC site, and there's been about 610,000 distributed uh, doses distributed to Wisconsin so far. We've been doing this about six weeks. So let's say it's 100,000 a week. Even at that rate, 100,000 doses coming to Wisconsin every week. Phases 1A and 1B encompass more than 2.1 million people in Wisconsin, about 40% of the population, a little bit more. Just that group would take 21 weeks at 100,000 doses a week to get one dose. Remember, they need two. So we're talking literally five, five and a half months to get through phase 1A and 1B. That's before we ever get to sort of a general mass vaccination uh, uh, program. So this is going to certainly take time. And I think any hopes that we were going to be out of this thing by mid to late spring are fast evaporating. Well, and here's why this matters to you, even if you're able to get your vaccine earlier. And we've, we've mentioned this before on this podcast, we're going to do it again. The research that we have about the vaccine right now is not clear about whether if you're vaccinated, you can still spread the virus. We know the vaccine is very effective at preventing you from getting sick from the virus. We don't have enough information to say definitively right now the vaccine stops you from spreading it to other people. So if you're 65 or older and you get in early and you get your vaccine, but no one else you know has it and no one else in your group has it, your ability to interact with them, to socialize with them, is still probably going to be limited. I mean, in, in my family, we're having this conversation right now because uh, my in-laws, uh, both of them have had their first dose of the vaccine. They live in Michigan. They're 65 and older. And uh, my husband and I are expecting our second child in May. And we're talking about what the visitor situation is going to be because obviously this newborn won't be vaccinated. I'm still, even after giving birth, going to be considered high risk for getting the virus and it's unclear whether my in-laws are going to be able to 
visit even though they've been vaccine even though they've been vaccinated because we don't know if they can spread it or if they visit do they have to wear masks the whole time when they're in the house that that's kind of the back and forth so until you have large portions of the population vaccinated you're still going to be limited in what you can do going back to in any sense of going back to anything close to normal as long as the, the people around you also are not now, vaccinated. What's interesting here, and, and I don't yet know what to make of this, but we have talked a lot about how the, we, we know the data uh, on the vaccine shows it's very effective at, at uh, ramping up the immune system and therefore preventing serious disease. But the data is not entirely clear yet on whether or not it prevents the spread of the virus once you've had the vaccine. Could you actually just not get as sick or not get sick at all, but still pass it on to others? And that's not entirely clear. Although what's interesting is, is Dr. Fauci, who obviously has been at the top of all this in terms of the science and, and, and talking to the country about, you know, here's what things look like. Here's the big picture. Just a couple of days ago, he was talking about all of these mutations we're hearing so much about the concerns that as viruses do, as they repli replicate, they mutate. And when they mutate, is the vaccine going to be as effective? And there are some concerns that the current vaccines may not be as effective with some of these mutations as we earlier thought. But he said, and I thought this was interesting based on what you were just talking about. He did say that that actually increases the importance of these mass vaccinations because if you can prevent the virus from replicating, then you will slow the possibility of mutations. But if the vaccine doesn't stop the spread, then vaccinating wouldn't stop the replication. So he seems to be suggesting, maybe without confirming it uh, through, you know, clinical studies, he seems to be suggesting that there is substantial benefit to stopping the spread by vaccinating. That's what that statement looks like to me. I don't know what you make of that, Amanda, but it seems like he's saying that if you vaccinate enough people, we slow the spread. And if we slow the spread, we stop the mutations. Yeah, so the vaccine manufacturers say, even though we don't have the data yet, they are hopeful and somewhat confident that, that the vaccine could stop the spread. So we don't have data that says the vaccine doesn't stop the spread. It's just we don't have enough to say that it does. And that's the, the tricky spot we're in. So the, everyone's hoping that it does stop the spread. The, the question, though, is when it comes to returning back to normal, if we still have to act as though the vaccine doesn't stop the spread, then we're still talking masking, social distancing, uh, cutting down on, on seeing the people you love. And as long as there's that uncertainty, those are the behaviors people are going to continue to exhibit. And that's also going to make it a lot harder to reopen up uh, parts of our economy. So, I mean, the public from a consumer confidence standpoint really needs that data that says, yes, this vaccine does in fact stop the spread. And I, I think that would change a lot of things about how we operate. It still would highlight the importance of vaccinating quickly. You know, here in Wisconsin, we're, we're in a place right now where We've hit a, a lower number of COVID-19 cases, and that's great. But then you factor in this mutation that you talk about, Brian, and you factor in the very slow rollout of the vaccine, and there are concerns that we're not going to be able to keep those COVID cases low if we continue on at this rate. Well, one of the things I, I wonder about, too, when it takes this long to roll out the vaccine, if it takes, let's say, nine months to vaccinate everyone in the state who 
is interested in getting a vaccine. If that's how long it takes to get us to 75 or 80 percent uh, coverage, which is uh, the the threshold that many of the experts are saying we need to reach for so-called herd immunity. If that's how long it takes, we've also heard about how we don't know how long the vaccine is effective, how long that immunity lasts. What if it does only last for three months? What if it does last? Maybe it's six months, but it takes nine months to vaccinate. Are we then starting to chase our own tails? And, and I don't know that anyone really knows the answer to that yet, but it seems like that's all the more reason that they need to ramp up the distribution and, and administration of this vaccine as quickly as possible so we can reach that threshold point before the people who got it the first time around are no longer immune. Right. And I mean, if, if that's the case you're talking about, Brian, then we really are talking about years before we can get back to anything resembling to normal. And, and I don't think that's what people want to hear right I now. I don't think that's what the experts expect either. I mean, I, I want to be clear I, from, right. from the people we're hearing, they don't expect this to last years. What they have said, though, is if this if, for instance, there's the variables and scientists are always plugging in variables. And, and so when people say, how long is this going to last? Well, you can't know until you know what these variables turn out to be in reality when they become constants. But one of the big variables is not just how quickly they get the vaccine out, but how many people are willing to get the shot. There are a lot of people who still don't trust this. They don't want it. They say they're going to refuse to get it. And so if the actual acceptance rates of the vaccine are low, even once we have enough on the shelves, if the acceptance rates are low, then that could slow how long it takes for this thing to fizzle out. It will fizzle out. And the experts have said this isn't going to just go on forever. It will. But that's where it could take instead of six months or nine months. It could take a year and a half or two years or in the worst case, even longer. So the acceptance rates have a lot to do with this as well, but we haven't really even talked much about that because there's still such a short supply. At a certain point, that will flip and there will be more than enough supply and then it's gonna be a question of the people who don't wanna get it. Right, at this point, I mean, we've talked to pharmacies that have wait lists of hundreds of people. So they're not concerned at this point about not finding people who can who can take these these vaccines or who are willing to take these vaccines. But we will, get to a point where I, there's going to be a lot more discussion about confidence in these vaccines, especially amongst groups that have tended to be at higher risk for COVID-19. And I know there's been a lot of talk about messaging about this. That's why there's been such an emphasis on public figures very publicly getting their vaccine to kind of show, hey, I'm I'm confident in this, uh, but that's that's something that we'll have to keep an eye on, certainly, over the next few months. But at this point, right now in Wisconsin, I think there's less of a focus on consumer confidence in the vaccine and more of a focus on how are we going to get this into the arms of the people who are trying to line up and wait. But like you said, Brian, don't even know where the line is forming. I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention when you said the people stepping forward to say, I'm getting one because I want to show you how safe this is. Uh, the unfortunate uh, loss this uh, past week of uh, superstar baseball player, Hall of Famer Hank Aaron, um, just a couple of weeks ago, he stepped up to the plate no pun intended, to say, I'm going to get a vaccine. I want to show people, especially in the African-American community where this has been so devastating, uh, that that this vaccine is safe and, and that it, it's a good thing to do. 
and then a couple of weeks later, he passes away. Now, he was 86 years old, and there's no uh, connection that anyone has been able to draw that this was in, anything, in any way something to do with the vaccine. But when the purpose was to say, see, it's safe, it's okay, look, I'm going to do it, and then two weeks later, the news comes out, uh-oh, he passed away, there is some concern that that will take some people who are already on the fence or leery, and, and, and they might look at that and say, yep, nope, not for me. Is that a concern uh, about that kind of an unfortunate impact? Yeah, I mean, I've seen a lot of social media posts that are uh, not really based on fact, but they're making connections with, you know, portions of the elderly population that received the vaccine and later died. And that's really bothering the healthcare providers and the scientists because they're saying, look, if someone is 90 years old and they get the vaccine and they die two weeks later, a lot, we're able often to look at that and sh show it has no link to the vaccine. There, this person had seven different underlying conditions that all contributed to their death. But the public perception, when people just make the jump from A to Z, um, instead of going through all those in between, it, it makes it that much harder for healthcare providers, for scientists to get their message out. So uh, that's certainly a concern. We've talked about conspiracy theories about the vaccine before, and especially in this age of social media, um, it's, it's hard for big events to not give new life to some of those theories. That's part of the reason we do this podcast and we talk about the vaccine so often, right? We're trying to help take people through the science. It, the difficulty is, and this is the way science has always worked, it, it changes. With this pandemic, we're seeing the scientific process play out in real life. Usually it's happening behind the scenes. And it takes years and years where you start with one hypothesis and then you get new information and then that changes and then you test it out and then, you know, you arrive at your conclusion, which is different than what you started with. All of that's been highlighted and spotlighted in this pandemic. So it's it's easy as a consumer to watch it and say, wow, things keep changing. I don't know if I can trust it. But the reality is the, the fact that information keeps changing that tells us that the science on this is progressing. That's how the process is supposed to work. Although I can I can understand that that when you have a, a, a reticent section of the public who says, I just, you know, because we're watching this happen in real time, I want to wait until the dust is settled. At the moment, that's not a problem, because as we've said, the vaccines in short supply. So the people who are eager to get it and there are plenty. Are, are lining up and they're more worried about how long is it going to be before I get it. As we've said though, there will come a point at which the people who want it have gotten it. And, and what is that ultimate acceptance rate? If it's 60 to 70%, the last you know 30% or so may not matter so much because remember, we don't just have the people being vaccinated who've been exposed, but all the people who've gotten COVID-19, gotten uh, sick from it, they have uh, a certain amount of immunity as well. We don't know how long that lasts, but when you come and we don't always know who those people and, and are. And we don't. We, we, when you combine those who've tested positive, not just the ones who've uh, probably been exposed and never known it, but combine the 15% of the state or roughly that's tested positive so far, let's say another 60% that gets the shots, there's your 75%. Uh, that could be enough. We don't know. Uh, but it, that, that's a factor that plays into this. So really, we're talking about an issue that's down the road. It will come into play at some point. But for now, the key is just getting enough vaccine here so the people who want it, and there are plenty of them, 
can get it. And that's a good place to wrap this one up. Uh, so as you know, we're going to be talking about this issue a lot in 2021. And as this continues to develop, uh, you can come to open record for the latest information on the COVID-19 vaccine, the pandemic, police community relations, reckless driving, and so much more. If there's a topic you want us to discuss or an issue you think we should investigate, send us an email to fox6investigators at fox.com. That is fox, the number six, investigators at fox.com. As always, thank you to the people who make this podcast possible. Producer Pete, Dave Machuda, Suzanne Barthel, and Sarah Smith. Please subscribe to Open Record. If you haven't done that already, you can find it wherever you do your podcast listening. With that, I'm Amanda St. Hilaire, and for Brian Polson, we will be back again on Thursday.